So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The text that that, uh, we're reading from is part of a story where Jesus encounters a woman in an area called Samaria, which was sort of to the east and north just a little ways from the city of Jerusalem in, uh, in the area of Judea. And this woman was of the uh, city that was called Sychar. And she was apparently tending sheep. And she was by a well of water. And in that well, she was having to dip a bucket, apparently, and bring up water for herself and for her animals and probably for her family. When Jesus came near, it says uh, he, he asked her for a drink. And her response was, how can you as a Jew ask me, who is a woman of Samaria, for water? Because the Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And Jesus' response was, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. Now, we, we look at that text, and we see some lessons that are involved in it. And there's some more that I'll read in just a few minutes. But we're looking at a situation that transpired between the Samaritan woman and Jesus. And we're looking at an area that is um, semi-arid. It wasn't actually a desert, basically. It was was arid, not as much as it is now, not not like it is now 2,000 years later. But it was still an arid area. And it had uh, had need of water being drawn from wells instead of running water in creeks and rivers. So, Jesus is asking a woman to draw from a well that she was familiar with. She was sitting there, or maybe standing there. And as he was asking her this question, uh, we 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 have to take a look at the at the area and, and what had transpired in terms of of the culture. Now. People will sometimes go to this text and they will try to make something social, ethnic about it. They'll say, here here Jesus is on a different social, ethnic level than the woman. And so they they sort of have an antagonistic disposition toward one another as far as the countries are concerned. He was a Jew of Judea and she was a Samaritan of Samaria. But that probably is not what we're looking at. We're not looking at an ethnic issue. We're not looking at a feminist issue because she was a woman, he was a man. We're probably looking at a, a larger story and a, and a larger sequence. What Jesus is going to tell this woman was important for her to understand. 
And by extension, it's important for us to understand. Because we're in, 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 that, lane, in that line of, of uh, progeny, of those who are of faith, who need to understand what Jesus was saying, what he has reference to when he's talking about living water. So, they dug wells at that time, and she said, our father Jacob gave us this well. So Jacob was, uh, was the brother of Isaac, not Isaac, he's brother of Esau. He's the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And in that area, God had given that area to the children of Israel. And before they had actually inherited it, Jacob was there and he was digging wells for his sheep, for his herd, for his family. Now, when we talk about digging a well at that that time, we have to think that they're not going down several hundred feet to get water. They're going down to the level of what, what we would call the water table and getting water. So the well may have been 10 or 12 feet deep at the most. But in all likelihood, it was about 8 feet deep, but you still couldn't reach down the, with a dipper and get water out of it or with a bucket. You had to lower a bucket on a rope that was on a big spool that was sitting on a couple of saddles that, that uh, were projected on either side, and the rope wound around that spool, and on the end of the spool, and it could have been part of a tree, but on the end of that spool was a lever, and they could use that lever as a fulcrum to raise and lower the water. As the water bucket came up, the, the rope was going around the spool and drawing it up, now like a yo-yo. But... The, the idea was that that's the way they got the water out. So the woman knew that Jesus had to depend upon her to pull the water out of the well and then give it to him. So that's, that's what they were doing in terms of the water itself. Now, I'm going to read further on in John chapter 4, and I'm going to start at verse 11. So he said, if you had known who you were talking to, if you had known the gift of God, if you had known who you were talking to, who was talking to you, you would have asked of me water. So, the woman said unto him, Sir, you don't have anything to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence do you have that living water? Where are you going to get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answering said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. Now that's important. That's an important statement. We could just pass over that very quickly, but we shouldn't. He said, if you drink this, this water, you're going to get thirsty again. In other words, this well may run dry. Right? Or you have to, you have to come back continually to this well. Because this is the source you have, and therefore you have to be you have to stay close to the source. And as a matter of fact, it may not last. It could go dry. Well, go dry. Verse fourteen, he said, "But whosoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life." Now I'm going to put a little peg down there for just a minute. 
The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to drink. Now, Jesus, Jesus is talking about the types of well that water springs from. He said, he said, I'm going to give you water that springs up. You know what water springs up? Water springs up from an artesian well. It comes to the surface because of pressure underneath the, underneath the earth. So Jesus is talking about an artesian well, one that just brings the water up. You don't have to go after it and go down to get it. It comes up to you. Okay. But he said, Whosoever will drink of this water that I give him shall never thirst. So he's saying, what he's saying to start with is, he said, you're not going to run out of this stuff. You won't run out of it. It'll always be there. Then he said, the water I give him will, uh, will be to him a well of water springing up, an artesian well. You, have to don't, you have to have, don't have to go down and somewhere and try to get it and bring it back up. It'll be an artesian well under everlasting life. Now we think about that in these terms. He talks about the water being living water. Then he says it's everlasting. It'll always be around. Now we're not, we're not uh, made to think in terms of everlasting, are we? When we think of things, we think in, th- in terms of, when we think of time and issues and, 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 and situations, we think in, in terms of loops of time. Because the length of time is if you, if you try to go out this way on time, you always know that there has to be an end somewhere. You have to an end. And Jesus said, what I'm going to give you is water that doesn't have one of those. It doesn't have an end. It'll always be there. Well, our, our, idea, our attitude is when we look at life and we look at things, we think that can't be because wells always run dry. Oh, whatever goes up comes down. Whatever we're enjoying now, we need to enjoy it because we, from our experience, we know it won't last. So our attitude toward life is, it's not everlasting. It, it lasts for a while and then things that are better now will get worse. And things that are worse now will get better. It's like the plague we're in. We know that this plague that we have is going to get better. It's in a loop. It's not in a straight line. It will get better. So there'll be times it'll get worse and it'll get better. Just go like that. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you something that won't have an end. Don't have to worry about it. If you're, having, if you're enjoying it now, you're going to always enjoy it. It's not going to run out. You don't have to worry about your gas tank and your car running dry. It'll always be there. That's what he's saying, basically. You don't, you don't have to worry about the fun running out in your life. It will always be there. There will always be something here for you. What I'm talking about, he says, is the water of life. Now, I said a while ago, I said this woman had to understand something that he was talking about. And in order to understand it, we have to understand the same thing because he's, he, by extension, he's talking to us as well as to her. So what is he saying? That's the point. What is he talking about? We know that that when Jesus taught, and when we read the Bible, we're reading words and sentences and paragraphs and expressions 
that are set in the same type of graphic language that we use today. So, if I want to compare something with something else, and he's comparing water she's getting out of a well with everlasting water, we can do it several different ways. We can use a simile. We can say, well, it is like this. Or we can use a metaphor, and we can say it is this. Now, let me explain that. If we use graphic language in terms of a simile, we could say something like this. That this man is as strong as a horse. So we're using, the, we're using a simile. He is as strong as a... Jesus used this reference to he, he said his people were like sheep. He wasn't saying they were sheep. And then again, he would say, for instance, in John chapter 10, my people are sheep. So that's a, that's a metaphor. The simile is like sheep. He is as strong as a horse. That's a simile. This man is a horse. That's a metaphor. So he's using graphic language. And in this term, when he's talking about the water of life, he's using analogic language. He's using an analogy. So he's taking something that they're familiar with and transferring it over to something that they're not familiar with. That's an analogy. So he's saying there's certain characteristics of water that will be characteristic of what I'm going to tell you about. Follow? So that's why he's using graphic language. Now I'm going to ask you, last week I asked you to come along with me on an emotional journey. I'm going to ask you to come along with me today and look at this water in the way that I believe that we need to look at it because I believe this is an analogy. Now the reason I'm saying that, and I'm going to say it right at the beginning, there are two ways to make a point or reach a conclusion in reasoning. One is a deductive way, deductive reasoning, and the other is an inductive way. Deductive means that we take all the information we have and we reach a conclusion. So we look at all the different parts, put them all together and reach a conclusion. Or we take the conclusion and then look at the parts and see if they support that conclusion. We start at the beginning with inductive reasoning, and that's, or start at the ending with the inductive reasoning. So that's what I'm going to do. I don't want to confuse you. Inductive reasoning means we're going to have the conclusion. I'm going to tell you what I believe he's talking about. And then I'm going to show you why I think he's talking about that. You follow? Okay. Let's, let's, let's look at it. Now, what I want you to do, as we look at these things, I have some pictures. As we look at what we're talking about, what I'm going to say is that I believe that Jesus is talking about, when he talks about the water, he's talking about his presence and what he means to you. And he uses water in order to make that point. How he in your life will make that with you. He'll make you experience the impact of his life and his impact or influence is going to be like water. That's what I'm saying. That it, some say, well, maybe, maybe he means by water he means this, or maybe he means that, or means something else. What I'm going to say is, initially, I believe he means by water the impact and the influence 
that He has, Jesus, our Christ, in our lives, the influence He has on us, the impact. So, let's look at these pictures. We know that water is necessary for life. It's necessary for life. There's, it's, the, this, this business of water is a little more complicated than it looks. It looks simple, doesn't it? Water is water. And it's, it's so readily available to most of us. But we know that life cannot exist without water. Our scientists, with all the scientific equipment that we have, our scientists come to the same conclusion that we come to. We need water. We need water for vegetation. Water has no known nutrients in it unless they're injected. Pure water has nothing like that in it. The reason why there's nitrogen in water that helps soil transfer and make up the, what it needs in order to get green chlorophyll and so forth is because it passes through the atmosphere and it gathers the nitrogen from the atmosphere and the atmosphere gets the nitrogen because of electricity and electricity comes from lightning. Anyway, your, your, ground, your lawn, if you've been watering it from your hose, from your, uh, from your, water, from your uh, water hose, your garden will not be as green from that hose as it will be if it gets rain. And the same thing about a field and the same thing about a garden. Anyway, the point is that we need water for life. And without water, there's no life. Why do you think our astrologists are looking in the heavens and thinking, we've got to find some place that has water? Because if we can find water, we can find life. Without water, there's no life. It's just that simple. It sustains life. It cannot exist without life. Vegetation and animal life are sustained by water. Now I'm asking you, how does this picture impress you? That's what water does. You know, I like that picture. I like the feeling I get when I look at that because I think, that's life. Now we live in, where I'm standing right now, we live in Washington State that gets lots of water. And sometimes we, we think we're getting too much water. So we, we say, let's not have as much water. We want more sunshine. Sunshine is necessary as well, and oxygen. But water is necessary for anything to grow, any life to come along. Now that, the impact that water has on me, when Jesus talks about water, the impact on me is, hey, I like water. I like the effect it has on, on my surroundings. I like the green trees. I like the green grass. I like the green vegetation. I like the green gardens. I like what grows from water because it produces life. And also, that's an oasis. Uh, if, if we don't have water, human beings, we can't live. We can't live without water. Not only can we not live without water, we cannot live without much water. 
We have to have a whole lot of it. Humans are sustained by water. We need water in order, in, a, in an abundant quality, in order to be able to exist. When I was younger, now of course looking at this picture I'm thinking, those Arabs, or whatever individuals they were, Arabians or whatever desert they were in, they may have been Nubians or whatever it may have been, they were in a desert area and they looked for places like this because it was absolutely essential for them to find water for them to live. They could not live without it. When I was a kid, I used to think there were a couple of things that were free in this, on this earth. One was the air that we breathe. One was the water we drink. Now, you know what? Water's not free. It hasn't been free for a while, and it's going to get more expensive. The reason why, it is, it is absolutely necessary for the existence of humanity. Just like the first picture I showed you, if people do not have water to grow their crops, then we cannot raise enough food in order to feed the population. So without water, man is without vegetation. Without water, man is actually without life. He has to have water, and he has to have much water. But we're not the first ones to sell it. Matter of fact, if you look back in Deuteronomy chapter 2 at verse 6, when Israel was coming out of Egypt and they were passing through Seir, S-E-I-R, which was a portion of Egypt and on into the, into the Arabian desert, they were passing through a part of the land that God had given to the descendants of Ishmael. And that text says, he told, he told Israel this, his people through Moses. He said, you can buy meat of them for money. You can buy meat from the Ishmaelites that you can eat. And you shall also buy water of them for money that you may drink. They were selling water back in the time when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Ishmael and his descendants were selling, selling water. We, we, uh, now look at this picture. How, how does that make you feel? It, I look at it and I think, well, man, that, that is good. That, that, I know that kid is enjoying a good drink of water. Hydration has become a principal issue in our society, and it's a concern for the whole world. We need, in order to live, not just water, but we need pure, fresh water. Because over 70% of our bodies are made of water. We need pure, fresh water in order to live. It's both healthy and refreshing, although pure, fresh water has no nutrients in it at all. Zero calories. No nutrients. It does not sustain you in terms of furnishing you anything that your body can use to live, but it is necessary. Water is necessary. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you an abundant source of water. I'm going to give you something that you need. You cannot do without it. We can exist for weeks without eating. A human body cannot go 
much more than, if at all, eight days without water. Eight days. That depends upon the circumstance and upon the climate. If you're in a very arid climate, you, you'll die before eight days are over. Or if you're in a very frozen climate and you can't melt water and get it to potable water, you'll die before that too. But eight days is generally thought of as the extreme to live without fresh, pure water. And yet it doesn't feed you. It doesn't feed you, but it is necessary. And the image, I believe, of pure drinking water is appealing. That appeals to me. It's attractive. It makes me think, that is good. That's good. The slaking of our thirst is easily visualized. And especially if we are thirsty. And we see a, we see a nice glass of clear, fresh water. We want it. It's, it's attractive. We desire it. It's tasteless and odorless. Except unless you're down in Sulphur Springs, Arkansas, then it smells like a skunk because it has other ingredients in it. It's not pure, fresh water because you can get chemical ingredients in water and you can contaminate it. But pure, fresh water is tasteless. Although when you taste, when you take a big drink of pure, fresh water, it does taste good. We, that's that's the impression we have. I'm talking about what Jesus is saying you're going to give us. And he's using that as saying the impact of my life on you is how you will feel when you take a big drink of fresh, pure water. Satisfying. Good. It appeals to our senses. And then, of course, that's, that's a good vision of it, isn't it? That tells us that we, we would like to have that. And now look at this picture. How does that make you feel? This little girl is drinking polluted water. Did you know that over 6 billion people on this planet have no access to uncontaminated water? To pure, fresh water? 6 billion people are endangering their health by having to be fed or having their thirst slaked with contaminated water. Disease and death is spread by bad water. This is the unappealing truth. Jesus didn't promise that. Jesus promised fresh, pure water. We can visualize the pollutants and we can almost smell the odor of the contamination, both with human and animal fecal contents and simply by the minerals that are in the water and the bacteria in the area around the water, germs flourishing in it, something that should support life is actually a messenger of death. Now, I'm going to go back if we can. We'll go back to the very beginning. Can I go back, John? Does this thing back me up? Yeah, it just hit the back button. I got it. I got it. <laughs> I'm going to go back here. I'm going to go back to the idea of, of good, good water and what, it, what good water does for us. 
For those of us who complain in the Northwest about too much water, we, we uh, should understand that water is necessary for life. And we should understand one major issue, and that is that when it's raining, it will stop eventually, and the sun will come out. But it is water that gives us the beauty of the country that is around us. Without water, we would be in desperate trouble. Oregon and California and Nevada and Arizona and so forth have been in trouble in the last few years because they don't have access to the same amount of water we do. We send water from Washington down the river to get to them. And uh, they, they need water. They need water for the forest fire. They need water. They need the rainwater. They, they just, people need water. And Jesus said, I'll give you everlasting water. You'd think sometimes it's never going to stop raining, but it does. I remember being told about a farmer one time who uh, was living with his family in an area in, in, uh, in this country in the United States. I think he was in California. Anyway, it had not rained for several months, and they were, they were becoming very dry. And uh, at church services, when they came together to meet with the Lord and the Lord's people, this particular farmer was prone to really extend his prayers asking the Lord for water. Every time they called on him to pray, he, was, he would make that his paramount concern. Lord, we need water. We need rain. Please help us. So he, he was pleading. Well, they got it. The Lord answered that prayer. And it started raining and it didn't quit. It just kept raining. And it kept raining. Now then, he was a farmer and he couldn't get into his field because of too much rain. So, during this period of time, he was called upon again to offer a prayer for the congregation. And they wondered, is he going to ask for more rain? <laughs> well, he didn't. He got up and said, Lord, he said, we really thank you for the rain, but it's a tad too much. So, he let the Lord know what he wanted in terms of rain. But still, we need that. When we think about rain, we think about God, we think about the fact that He is the one who sends the rain. Paul made this statement when he was preaching in a city in Asia called Lycia. In Acts chapter 14, verse 17, he said, God has not left Himself without witness in that He sent rain in due season. So when we get the rain, we know that it's coming from God. Here's some texts in the book of Psalms that talk about this. Psalms 104 verse 10 says, He sends the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation which sing among the branches. He waters the hills from His chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of His works. God sends the rain. Now, we're, we're talking about... What I want to keep in mind now is this conversation between Jesus and the woman from Samaria. She's saying, I, I want this water. And Jesus is saying, I will give you water that is everlasting, that will give you life, and it is everlasting. So what I'm saying here is that what Jesus is giving us by His presence, by Himself, 
is what is like water or analogous to water. Here this says that God is the source of water. Keep that in mind. God is the source of water. So when we're talking about the analogy, we have to keep in mind that the water is not giving us life. It's God giving us life through the water. He is the life. He is the source. He's saying, I'll give you water that springs up. An artesian well. And as a matter of fact, he'll tell us, it'll even spring up out of us. But here we go. In Psalms chapter 65, verse 9, it says, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it with the river of God, which is full of water. You prepare them corn when you have so provided for it. So he's saying, you're the one that gives the water. You're the one that gives the water. In, in, in verse 10 it says, You water the ridges thereof abundantly. You settle the furrows therefore. You make it soft with showers. You bless the springing thereof. There are beautiful analogies in the Psalms that talk about the impact that water has upon us. And it's the water that comes from God, but he's talking about actual water. Now let's think about it. There's a couple of them that you're familiar with, I'm sure. In Psalms 1 verse 1 it says, Blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his, in his law does he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. So he's saying, I'm going to make you like a tree planted by the rivers of water. What is nourishing you? Water has no caloric content, no nutrition. So who is feeding us? God. He's the one that has the life. He's the one that's producing the water for me to help me live. But He's the one that is a source of life. He's the source of the rain. He's the source of the water beneath the ground, the aquifer. He's the one that put it all there. So, Jesus was using water as an incentive to teach us how we should feel and react uh, with His presence. That He is the one who gives this to us. And we should have the reaction to Him like we would with our reaction to water. Basically. That's the point I'm making. Water was not an option and is not an option, nor is it an accessory in our lives. It is a necessity. It's critical. We can't live without it. No animal or vegetable life can live without it. But its source is God. He's the one who has the life And the water is simply showing us the impact that having God in our lives has upon us. So what Jesus was referring to that was available for the asking. Jesus told the woman, he said, ask of me and I will give it to you. Ask me. You don't, this is the only place you're going to get it. Ask me. And the water that he was speaking of produced health 
and well-being. He said, the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. The water I give him. So Jesus is giving the water. He's the one that's the source of life. And the water is basically the vehicle by which that life comes into us. That water is that he offers is attractive. It's really attractive. And it's appealing. You can, you can put a picture of a Coca-Cola on a billboard and not everybody is attracted to it. But when you put a big tall glass of sparkling clear pure water, everybody's attractive to that. It is attractive. And what Jesus has for us in Himself is attractive. He is attractive. We have to ask ourselves, what is Jesus talking about when He talks about the water? Well, Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3 says, You will with joy draw water out of the wells of salvation. Ezekiel 47 is an entire chapter that says that the healing waters are coming out of the sanctuary of God. Zechariah 14 verse 8, and remember, the source of the water is God. It's coming from Him. Zechariah 14.8 says it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. Because that's the throne of God, Jerusalem was at that time. Half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter shall it be. And then in Revelation 7.17, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Lead them to living fountains of water. Remember that word, fountains of water. Chapter 22, verse 1 of Revelation. He showed unto me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's where it's coming from. Now I know for a long time I thought that when he was talking about water in this text in, in the text we're looking at in John 4 I thought he was talking about the word of God that the word of God was the water of life I always thought that but the more I thought about it the more I looked at it the more I realized that that really wasn't what he was talking about he's using water as an analogy in order to impress me about his presence which is like the impact of water on me and the impression of water on me. He was impressing me. I know that His presence will, will turn everything lush and verdant in my life. I know that. His presence. Not just the Word. The Word brings Him to me. The Word tells me about Him. But I can't stop there and say, I know about you. I have to let Jesus come into my life and affect me in my being personally. In Isaiah 55 verse 11, the text says, because we were thinking about things like this, let's, let's start at verse 10. He says, As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not hither, 
but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish that which I please. So he's saying, my word does the same thing that water does, basically. But that's, I don't think he's saying the, the water is the water of life. I don't think he's saying that's the water of life. I think he's saying his presence produces the life that's in the water. Okay. Amos 8 at verse 11 says, Behold, the day is come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. So it sounds like he's saying, the word of God is the water of life. Let's think. Let's wait a minute. In John 6.68, Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So, he's backing it up now. He's saying, the words are words of life, but it's you that give the words of life. So, water alone doesn't give the life. It's the one who is the life that the word is telling us about. It may be a little confusing here. But look at this. John 7.37 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the Spirit, which they which believe on him shall receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I believe he's talking about Jesus. Out of Jesus shall flow those rivers of living water. A cursory look of these verses might be misleading. Instead of making the words of Jesus the living water, it's more reasonable to believe that he was referring to himself as the living water, the source of life, of everlasting life. Now, I ask you to think about this term fountain because I'm going to take you back to the book of Jeremiah chapter 2 at verse 13. This text says very clearly, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. God is the fountain of living waters. Not the Word of God. God. Now, I... Learn about God through His Word. That's what we've been doing this morning. But God is the fountain of life. He's the source of life. In Jeremiah 17, verse 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake you shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Jesus is said to be the Word. So sometimes it gets a little confusing here. I'm not saying that you should not look at the Word of God and believe that it also acts as a source of bringing information to us about God. But I'm saying that what Jesus is talking about when He's talking about everlasting life and water, He's talking about Himself and His presence in your life. If it takes the Word of God to get Him into your life, which it does... Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You can't believe on God unless you believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Word and He is life. But when He talks about everlasting 
water and everlasting life. He's talking about himself and the impression he makes and the impact he makes on your life. It's like that of water and how water impresses you. So if you can, if you can experience, and this is, this is the whole point of what I'm trying to say. If you can physically, emotionally, experience what water does to you, you can physically, emotionally, experience what Jesus does to you in your life. How He impacts your life. So, how does He impact my life? He impacts my life like water impacts the fields. The verdant fields. He impacts my life like an oasis would impact me if I'm traveling in the desert and I see the oasis and I know I have to have this in order to live. That's, that's how He impacts my life. How does Jesus impact my life? He impacts my life like I'm taking a big drink of fresh, cool, good water. That's how He impacts, he impacts my life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus, His presence in my life, makes me feel like I am refreshed in my soul. I get up in the morning, and I, if I'm with Jesus, even though I may, have, I may feel a little bit down, I know I'm going to feel better because I'm going to partake of Jesus, who is the water of life. He is. He's the one that refreshes my soul. He's the one, He's the fountain of life. And I don't want any pollutions. I don't want anything to pollute. I don't want anything to pollute the message that tells me about Jesus. I don't want any deception. We're, we're living in a time where we're hear, hearing politicians tell us everything in the world. How do you know who's telling the truth? I'm losing faith and confidence in newspapers. I'm losing faith and confidence in the internet, in the, in the uh, social media. I'm losing confidence. I don't know who to trust. I don't know who to believe. You don't either. But I do know who I can believe. I can believe in Jesus. Because He's right. And He's solid. And He's fresh. And He's not polluted. He's not going to damage me in any way. And when I think about Jesus, you know when I look at pictures like this, of a waterfall... How refreshing that feels to me. Just to look at that and feel like, wow, that makes me feel so good. It impresses me. It is awe-inspiring because He is wonderfully satisfying to my soul. So what is my advice to you this morning? Let Jesus come into your life. Let Him make you feel. Let Him impact you like fresh water impacts you, like growing vegetation, your life is going to spring forth and bloom and blossom. Let Him come into you. Let, let it feel like your, your thirst is quenched. You don't need anything besides Him in your life. And He'll bring His Father with you. He said, he said that He is life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the life. But we, get, we get the life through hearing and understanding the Word of God, but basically Jesus is the life. He's the everlasting water. And He's not going to end. He won't run out. We won't run dry. And He didn't, he didn't, he didn't build any 
obsolescency into himself. He'll always be here. And when we pass through this life and go through the grave, you know who's going to be on the other side there waiting for us? Fresh and vibrant, feeling good, Jesus. If he's with you now, he'll be with you then. God bless you. And may you partake of the everlasting water of life. Who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God?